Good morning. It's a joy to be together this morning. Thank you for responding to God's call and being here. I was saying to the contemporary team, the leadership team this morning, that when I'm away from you guys for just a week, I feel like I have separation anxiety. I feel like it's been too long, right? I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. So for me in particular, it's a joy to see each of you. And I'm glad that you are all here together so that we can approach the God that we serve together out of the diverse ways that we understand God and know God to be. So uh, today, we are continuing in our sermon series, talking about taking off the mask, um, about taking a risk and showing the people around us our true selves, our authentic selves. Maybe the things that we have tried hard to hide from people, considering just anew what it would be like to show people how we really are, how we really think. Um, And then under the belief that this is what Jesus did, right? This is how Jesus interacted with his disciples, with his closest friends, but it's also how Jesus interacted with the crowds, with the people who came from everywhere to come and see him because there's a belief somehow that by being in Jesus' presence that there was more freedom. There was a fuller experience of life and that Jesus allowed people through that deep relationship to be who they really were, not just sometimes, but all the time. So today we're looking at John 21. This is after, this passage of scripture happens after Jesus has, um, he has been on the cross, he has resurrected, he has already appeared twice, but the two times before Jesus has appeared to our story today, Jesus appears to the disciples, and then just as they recognize him, because remember, the scriptures always say that after Jesus was resurrected, people really struggled to to recognize, to see that it was Jesus. They knew it was Jesus. They felt it was Jesus, but he looked different. And so just as they came to, just as they realized who Jesus was, Jesus then disappears again. So in this story, we see that Jesus appears and then stays. So join me, if you will, in uh, listening along with John 21, verses 1 through 19. So this is after Jesus has appeared to Thomas. After, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples, apparently their names weren't as important, were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Friends, if you will, bow your hearts along with mine as we pray. As we approach your spirit, Lord, we ask for your inspiration of truth. Even though we come to you distracted or worried, even though we come to you wondering what is ahead for us this day, even though we come to you with to-do lists and fears and anxieties, we come into your presence that is still and waiting for us. So may you still our hearts too. We want to hear your voice and we want to know your heart and we want to recognize your face. So please draw us closer today than we were yesterday, that we might continually be changed and transformed by our relationship with you. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my best friend in college, she was someone that I had also gone to high school with. And she had been a bit of a wild child early on in, in junior high and in high school. But around the time that I met her, around the time that she had become active in the local church youth group, she had become downright inspiring as a leader of high school kids. She was valedictorian. She was a competitive athlete. She was outgoing. She was inclusive. She was popular. And then we went to university. And in our first year of university, it was almost like she had reverted to her younger days. She started to make these choices that went against her health, that strained her friendships, that challenged her ability to achieve her future goals. And we would talk almost every night, and she would tell me about how her life was so hard. Her life wasn't going the way she wanted it to go. And I would ask her if she thought that her choices could be making it harder for her. And she would just sort of shrug and change the subject. After about a year of this nightly ritual, it had gotten to the point where I didn't know if I could continue being her main support. 
It was too frustrating and it was too heartbreaking and it was too disappointing to see her persist as this person that she didn't seem to like being, but was also unwilling to change. So then after that first year in the summer, I went on a trip to Egypt for three weeks. And even though I never said anything to her before I left, I was really grateful for a break from her drama. And I wasn't committed to resuming the friendship as it was when I returned. I had said to myself that I was going to come back. I would still be her friend, but I couldn't keep up the intensity of our friendship as it was. However, when I got back, I was really surprised to find her waiting for me at my parents' house. She marched up the stairs to my childhood bedroom and she sat down on my bed and she apologized for not being a great friend, even though I had never said anything to her about that. She told me that she had made a complete turnaround in the three weeks that I was gone, actually 10 days. She had wasted the first few, but you know, (laughs) the, the last 10 were pretty good. She had made a complete turnaround while I was gone. She had ditched the bad friends. She had dumped the stupid boyfriend. She had prioritized her health. She told me that she was going a different way and that she wasn't going to go back. And I remember sitting next to her on the bed and nodding and smiling with as much authenticity as I could muster. But I felt a really healthy dose of skepticism. Because after all, who changes a year's worth of habits in just 10 days? And you know what, my friends? The joke was on me, because she never did go back. She went back to school with a new major, with a new housing situation, with a new job. And it was a really hard process for you. It was for her. It was a really hard few years. But she never really wavered in her decision. We remained close throughout her process. She became my maid of honor. Before she went on to get married, she had two kids, and then she ended up working in the field that she had always wanted to serve. Joke was on me. I am so proud of who she has become today, but I will tell you I've never forgotten that first day, that first day of her change. I have always marveled at it because when she sat on my bed that day, The words, the specific words that she said to me were this. She said, that's not who I am anymore. She said, I'm going to be this person now. This is who I am now. Internally, on some deeper level, my friend had shifted her identity. And even though she had tried to go back to that person that she was when she was much, much younger, even though she had tried to go back to what she once valued as a way of making friends and finding community, she had since experienced something else. And it turned out that that new person that she had become at the time that I had met her had offered her more depth and more breadth and more connection and more intention than the person that she had been before, and then the person that she was trying to be again. Why am I telling you this story about my friend? I'm telling you this story about my friend because every time I read this story about Peter, I think about her. Peter had been a fisherman for many years before he had met Jesus, and so had many of the other disciples. Then they had dropped their nets to follow Jesus. And for three years, this band of 12 or so people lived a completely different life. They traveled every day on land. They maneuvered in crowds. They witnessed miracles. They performed miracles. 
They bickered together. They feasted together. They disappointed one another. They forgave each other. They questioned Jesus and Jesus questioned them. For three whole years, they were the Messiah's best friends, deep in relationship with Jesus and deep in relationship with one another. And then Jesus died. The Messiah died. And instantly we see Peter take a really hard turn backwards, right? For those of us who have been around the church for a while, we'll remember that three times Jesus deny, or Peter denies that he knew Jesus. Three times he's sitting around a fire and he's insisting to this group of strangers that he didn't know Jesus. He had never known Jesus. He had never even met Jesus. And we get this sense that as Peter is denying Jesus over and over again with each time that he denies that he knew him, the person around that fire that he is trying to convince the most is himself. As though each denial will turn back one year of his life and return Peter to who and what he was before he had encountered Jesus, would return him to being just a fisherman again. There's a commentator named Frank Crouch. He describes the start of our story today by saying this. He says, Peter stays in character here as the one who continues to bumble around before realizing what he's actually called to do. His first act in response to the two resurrection appearances consists of convincing the others to go fishing. His actions follow a typical human pattern. An intense spiritual experience soon fades and one returns to the same things he or she has always done. Another commentator, Joy Moore, builds on this same idea. She says, Peter turns back to the life that they all once knew. He plans a late night fishing trip and seven of the 11 show up. And this attempt to return to the way things were ignores that the time that they had with Jesus gave them a greater mission. Moore goes on saying this, the gospel writer presents this familiar activity, this fishing as the distraction from the greater mission, failing to move forward with Jesus, career fishermen also fail to catch anything all night long. And so their impatience and confusion is marred with disappointment. Failure in fishing brings back the failed mission that they felt on that first Good Friday. And confusion sets in as they realize that they can't go back and they don't know their way forward. My friends, what Crouch and Moore are trying to point out is the same thing that my friend had to discover the hard way. The disciples had lived their whole lives one particular way, and then they had lived three years with Jesus. And as much as they wanted to go back to how things had been before they had met Jesus, they couldn't. Because it turns out that following Jesus wasn't a three-year mask that they were trying on to see if it fits. It turns out that by following Jesus, they had taken off all of the masks that they had been wearing for their whole entire lives prior. And now, even though they desperately wanted to go back to what had been familiar to them for so long, they couldn't get the mask back on and get it to fit right. 
The mask of their previous lives had stayed familiar. It had stayed the same. But their faces had changed. Their identities had changed. There was no way that they could go back, even if they tried. I was thinking about examples of times where our identities change in our lives as humans. And one of the ones that stands out the most to me, when our lives change irreversibly, is when someone becomes a parent. I used to work with parents who suffered from postpartum distress, men and women who, after they have a child, they start to experience depression and anxiety at these heightened levels. One of the things that we found as these men and women were struggling is that after they had had the baby, people would come over to their house and people would want to hold the baby and they would happily hand that baby over so that they themselves could do chores, right? They would vacuum, they would do the dishes, they would cook dinners, and they were happy to not hold the baby because they felt like they didn't know how to hold that baby. They knew how to do the dishes, Maybe not how to load the dishwasher, right? But they knew how to do the dishes and they knew how to vacuum clean and they knew how to do all of those things, but they didn't know how to be the parent. They didn't know how to hold the baby. And because they wouldn't embrace it, they were struggling with anxiety and depression. They didn't want to mess it up. It wasn't out of any selfishness. They just didn't want to mess it up. So often... When our identities change, it's really uncomfortable because like these parents, they couldn't go back to not being parents. They had this baby to care for. But also they had absolutely no idea how to do this new thing that they had to do. When our identities change, even in all of our discomfort, even though we're ill-equipped for the change, there is very rarely any going back. Sometimes, my friends, it turns out that the mask that we wear is the face that we always had before. Sometimes it turns out that the masks that we're wearing are the faces that everyone else knows us by. But we inside have shifted. Joy Moore, she says it this way about the disciples in our story. She says, even though they thought it was all over when the Messiah died, the disciples are still on a journey of discovery marked by relationships with respected friends and loved ones. They couldn't go back to just being fishermen. They had to recover the habits of discipleship that they had practiced for three years in order to know the way to go forward. Regular experiences of God intruding onto the ordinary, followed by lengthy discussions of seeing the difference God's grace makes in the lives of people who encounter acts of love and kindness. They had to engage in up-close and personal ministry. She says, when Jesus commissioned Peter, he didn't send Peter out in search of instant conversions, in instant church building. When Jesus commissions Peter, she says, feed my sheep. In other words, it wasn't something, this living this life, it wasn't something that was one and done. It was something that had to continue to be fed and nourished and taught and learned. Friends, when we, are com- when we commit to taking off the masks that we wear, when we commit to living into this new identity, 
of sharing our more authentic face, of being willing to share the more vulnerable things, our true feelings, not hiding behind anything. We can't be surprised when we find out that there's no going back. Because as we live into that new identity, that new identity changes our face. And the mask that we used to wear won't fit anymore. How many of you know someone whose favorite time of life is high school or college? Or maybe it's you. Raise your hands up high. It's okay. There's a, don't you ever wonder, the people who say that, their favorite time of life is high school or college, what's the one thing that happens in high school and college that is much, much harder as you get older? Friendships, making relationships, knowing people, living life together, that deep and meaningful friendship that stays with you often throughout your whole entire lives. We know that those friendships and those relationships transform us. They change the way that we engage in the world. Sometimes we try to hang on to them in the past. Very often we can't. We just have to keep moving forward into that new identity. Even though the Messiah isn't here face to face, the mask that we used to wear doesn't fit anymore. The identity that we have, even though we don't know how to live into it, is the only way that we can go ahead. If you will, friends, join me as we pray. God, we do not always know how to live into the new identity that you give us. It is so much easier to fall back into the things that we have done for years and years and to the people that we've been for years and years. It's so much easier to fall back into the practices and the habits that make us feel safe. And yet, you don't call us to be safe. You call us to be reckless for the gospel, to be people who dive into the fullness of life and don't settle for a, a, a trip in the mud puddle when there's a holiday at the sea waiting for us. And so we pray, God, that you will, throughout this week, speak to our hearts. Help us to understand the people that we were and the masks that we continue to try to fit on our faces. And help us to see the faces that you have given us anew, the new identities, the new visions, the new hopes, and to live into them in ways that we haven't before. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.